So uh, we're in a series called Miracle Worker. How many of you have been here for any of these messages so far? All right, awesome. Uh, today, I want to talk to you about a story from John 5. And so if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. I'm going to actually read to you a quick uh, verse from the book of Acts. This has kind of been our theme verse for the series here. Acts 2.22, Peter said, Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him. So this is Peter here preaching actually on the day of Pentecost, and he's preaching the good news. He's preaching the gospel. And Peter here, he, he tells this giant crowd of people that Jesus is this wonder worker. Jesus is this miracle worker. That Jesus was known by all the people as this doer of great deeds, as someone who had supernatural power and authority. And so these last couple of weeks, we've been talking about some of the different miracles that Jesus did. We talked two weeks ago about turning Jesus' water, turning water into wine. Hello, hallelujah, glory to God for that. We talked last week about Jesus driving a demon out and his ministry of spiritual warfare. If you missed those, you can go back and listen. But today I want to talk to you about a healing miracle from John 5, starting in verse 1. No exploration of the miracles of Jesus would be complete without talking about Jesus' healing ministry. I could tell you a dozen stories of the healing power of God. In fact, I know some of you guys have healing miracle stories in your own lives. Stories of God showing up in incredible ways, doing something that you could never do in a million years. And it wasn't like some kind of placebo in your head. There was no explanation except for the supernatural power of God. And I want to tell you today that Jesus still heals. I want to tell you today that he still does miracles. So here we are, verse 1. I'll, I'll jump into the text here. Verse, uh, verse 1, after this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and realized he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat and started to walk. Okay, so crazy story here. And uh, if, you've, if you've been in church for a little while and you kind of hear these stories, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, this is the part where the guy stands up and, you know, then he picks up his mat. We all know the story. And you can kind of lose the sense of like, man, this was 38 years. This guy's laying there. He's by this pool. What's the deal with this pool? So it's called Bethesda. And uh, it actually means house of mercy or house of grace. So that's pretty cool. And so this guy here, he's been laying by this pool. And there was these expectations about the water that every so often an angel would come and stir the water and whoever got into the pool first could be healed. Now, 
Can you imagine this scene here, especially in that time where doctors didn't know nearly as much as they know today, these people here with all sorts of conditions and disabilities, people who are blind, people who are lame, paralyzed, they're all by this pool. And then an angel would come and stir up the water because this is a a pool called Bethesda. It's a house of grace. It's a house of mercy. And you can imagine the chaos in that moment. You can imagine the chaos where it's like, man, I gotta, I gotta get in that water. I gotta, I gotta do whatever I have to do. Now I'm gonna be honest, if it was me, I'd be like pushing a guy out of the way, jump over a lady, like whatever I gotta do, like I'm gonna get in that pool. Like if, if someone's gonna be in that pool, it's gonna be me. I'd probably be sleeping in the pool. I don't know. I don't know how deep it was. I don't know if this guy's paralyzed, like can he even swim? Is it safe to jump into the pool? Like how long does it take for the healing to kick in? I don't know. If it was me, I'd be posting up right there. I would be laying right next to it. There's the angel. Just roll in. I'm I'm already there. I don't know. First, right? Sorry. Stinks for you guys. Maybe next time, fools, I'm out of here. I'm walking out, right? Like, I, I don't know. You can imagine the chaos. You can imagine, like, this sense of competition that, that I that I got to get to this healing, Now, being that it's been 38 years, we don't know if he was near the pool for 38 years, but you could imagine 38 years of watching somebody else get their breakthrough. You can imagine 38 years of having to celebrate for your friends who you're probably genuinely happy for that they got their miracle, while you have to sit back and hope that you have another day where maybe an angel will come and stir up the water and maybe, maybe they won't. 38 years of disappointment, 38 years. And of course, back in that day, they didn't have these, you know, safety nets that we have in our society. You know, this, this man's not getting a disability check because he's out of work. Like, this man has nothing. In fact, if you've ever been to certain third world countries, you, and you'll know, you'll, you'll walk outside down the street, you'll see, it's like, this is this guy, he's always here on the corner, he just begs because he can't do anything else. Like, there's, there's nothing. And so this man, literally, he, he has no options. And someone else always gets to the pool first because he's paralyzed, and so he's, he's never going to make it there first, and yet, and yet he stays there. He stays by that pool, hoping that that one day will be his day. And the reason I want to talk to you about this story specifically is because I feel like this man speaks to me and, and probably speaks to you. Because you see, for this guy... It's not that he didn't believe in miracles. It's not that he didn't, he didn't believe in the healing power of God. It's not that he didn't believe in God's ability to give mercy and grace. It's just that at some point for this guy, he stopped believing that those things were available to him. And this is what I want to talk to you about today. That maybe like this guy, it's not that you stop believing in healing. It's just that maybe you stop believing in healing for you. It's not that you stop believing that God does miracles. It's that maybe you're beginning to wonder, does he do miracles for me? Does he do breakthroughs for me? Does he do supernatural things for me? You see, this guy, he didn't, he didn't become an atheist. He didn't say, I don't believe in the God of mercy. He didn't say, I don't believe in the God of grace. It's just that when Jesus asked him if he wanted to get well, he said, I have no one to put me in the pool. 
And today I want you to know that not only is there a house of mercy, not only is there a house of grace, not only is there a God who does miracles, but it's a God who does miracles for you. It's a God who does wonders for you. So it says here in, in verse 5, the man had been disabled for 38 years. And then in verse 6 it says, when Jesus saw him lying there. So I have, I have three points for you today. Number one is that Jesus sees. Jesus saw the man lying there. You know, it's, it's interesting. You could be in a whole room of people and feel like nobody sees you. Anybody ever felt that way before? You could be in a whole crowd of people. Everybody's around, everyone's talking, everyone's hanging out. You could even be in relationships with people and you can still feel like nobody sees me, nobody gets me, nobody understands the things that I feel. You know, we live in one of the loneliest generations ever. I was reading some, some data just this past week about how the modern world every year people report higher and higher feelings of loneliness. Now, we can maybe dissect why that is. There's a there's hundred reasons for it. It's not just, you know, well, people don't really know their neighbors a whole lot anymore. It's so much more than that. Most of our communication is digital with other people. Most of our work is even sometimes from home. Most of our shopping is online. Most people get married later in life or have fewer kids. And none of these things are evil or bad or wrong. It's just the fact of life. I saw some, some data actually about population in the United States that if it wasn't for immigration, the population in the U.S. would be declining because birth rates aren't keeping up with death rates. So what, is, what does all this data mean? It just means that in general, most people have less close relationships around them than they did 50, 100, or 200 years ago. It's just sort of where we're at in the modern world. And so most people find themselves with this magic computer in their pocket that could connect them to anybody on the planet, and yet somehow we feel more and more alone than ever. And I have a sense that for some people here today, you can feel like this guy. And you can begin to feel like not only do the people around me not really understand, not only do the people around me not see me, but does God even see me? Does God even notice the things that I'm, I'm walking through? Has God really seen the things that I'm struggling with? And I want to tell you today, he sees you. I want to tell you that he sees the 38 years. He sees all the disappointments. He sees all the frustration. He sees all the letdowns. He sees all the ways that you're trying to, to celebrate for other people and you genuinely want to. But deep down, it just feels like, man, when's my breakthrough? When's my miracle? When's God going to show up in my life? And I want to tell you today that in a crowd full of people, Jesus saw this one guy. You know, Jesus, and, and you have to know this about Jesus. When you read through the Gospels, you, you see it over and over again. There were crowds always around Jesus, but Jesus didn't love crowds. He loved people. And there's a massive difference between those two things. See, Jesus wasn't like, oh, wow, let me, let me check out this crowd. Let me see how I can get a name for myself. Actually, when Jesus heals the guy here, we didn't read it, Jesus actually gets out of there. He actually leaves. 
And people are asking, who did this to you? And he's like, I don't even know the guy. I don't even know who it is. That Jesus, he's, he's not in it for, for the notoriety, the platform, the stage. He just cares about this guy in pain. So Jesus sees. Following on here, verse 6. So when Jesus saw him lying there and realized he'd already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? So number two, Jesus asks. Now, this one is kind of weird when you first look at it. In fact, if you're reading this story, you're hearing this story, and you see this guy 38 years, Jesus' question, it doesn't really make sense at a first glance. That Jesus is either blind himself, or he's kind of being a little bit dull. Like, what, what do you mean, do I, what, what can I do for you? What do you need? What do you want? Do you want to be healed? Like, what do you mean, do I want to be healed? Weird question, right? Except that I found in my own life that that's a really insightful question. Because sometimes we don't really want to be well. Sometimes, deep down, if we're honest, we're kind of comfortable in our dysfunction. Now, nobody's going to say that out loud. If you do, Danny will pray for you after service, okay? We will counsel you. We will love you. We are here for you, okay? Nobody's going to be like, oh, Joey, I'm just, I just love being messed up. It's kind of my jam. It's kind of what I do. It's my whole MO, being messed up, right? Nobody's going to say that out loud. But the truth is, our behavior, our patterns, our habits reveal that deep down, sometimes the pain of changing is harder than just staying the way that we are. And so we just stay in cycles of brokenness, of dysfunction, of unhealthiness, of insecurity, of whatever it is. And sometimes the question, do you want to be well? What do you want? What do you need? It's actually a provoking question because it actually forces you to ask yourself, what do I really want here? You see, for this guy who's been paralyzed for 38 years, as hard as that is, as miserable as that is, as terrible as that is, if he gets better, he's going to have to do the hard work of walking of reintegrating into society, of rebuilding relationships, of getting plugged back in into work, into family, into life. And as much as this guy is probably like, yes, I absolutely want to be healed, sometimes we just get comfortable in our dysfunction. And you see, until you decide that no matter what it takes, I got to make some changes. No matter what it takes, I got to get right. No matter what it takes, I got to be right. Sometimes we'll just keep going around that same cycle again and again and again. And Jesus asks, do you want to be well? It says in verse 7, sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him. This is verse 8. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. So here's, here's what I love about this. Jesus says, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be right? Do you want to be healed? And he says, 
you don't understand. I don't have anyone to put me in the pool. And I love that, that that's not what Jesus is asking at all. You see, the man is thinking that if I want to be healed, I've got to get into the pool. So when Jesus says, do you want to be well? He's like, hey, you offering to carry me or what? Because I don't have anyone to put me in the pool. And the beautiful part of, of this story is that Jesus is not asking you what your plan is to figure it out. He's not asking, are you going to find a way to get to your healing? Are you going to find a way to get into that pool? Let's get a game plan. Let's beat everybody else out. Forget all these jokers. You're going to get your miracle. You're going to get in that pool. Who cares about everybody else? What are you going to do? Well, I don't have anyone to put me in the pool. That's not what Jesus is asking. All Jesus is asking is, do you want to be well? And you see, if you answer that question right, Jesus will take care of the rest. He doesn't want to know your promises. He doesn't want to know your game plan. He just wants to know if you want it. And if you want it, he'll take care of getting you in the pool. In fact, even better, he's bringing the pool to you. You see, sometimes we treat the Christian life like it's just this, um, almost like this investment opportunity where like if you work your way up the tiers and into the different levels, then you can access your breakthrough, you can access your healing. And in no point in the story is Jesus trying to get this guy to work harder. At no point is he trying to teach the guy how to beat everybody else to the pool. All you have to do is want it and he'll take care of the breakthrough. He'll take care of the healing. He'll take care of the miracle. And so this man, looking for a breakthrough, looking for a miracle, doesn't realize that his miracle's right in front of him. And so this is my number three right here. Jesus heals. That Jesus does the miracle. Jesus does what you and I cannot do. And you see, the thing about Jesus is that he has absolute power. He has all power. He has all authority in heaven and earth. He's the creator of all things. Now, we know this, but again, this guy didn't believe that it was for him. And the thing about Jesus in the Gospels is not just that he has power, it's how he uses it. Now, you see, in our, in our, in our world today, we all know what people with power are like. We all know what politicians are like. I don't care whatever side you're on. Anybody who has that much power, they're probably a little bit crazy and corrupt, okay? Or is it just me that thinks that? Celebrities, whether it's your favorite artist or athlete, people with that kind of money, that kind of fame, like they go off the deep end and then we're all like, oh, who knew? Who knew billions of dollars and unlimited fame wasn't good for people? I didn't know. I'm shocked that they would do that right? And they do something crazy. Even pastors, people in ministry, business leaders, CEOs, whatever it is, we, we know what power does to people. We know the ways that power corrupts people. And the thing about Jesus is that he has all the power in the world, and yet he's drawn to people that have no power. 
that Jesus is not like all the people, all the presidents and uh, the, the super smart CEOs and the tech gurus who are running things in the world and they're all trying to get in with each other and work their way up the ladder. And if I could meet so-and-so, if I could network with that person, if I could get to know them, they'd open up these doors for me. And Jesus is this guy who literally has all power in heaven and on earth and he's drawn to people with absolutely nothing. And if you want to know what Jesus is like, imagine a being with unlimited power and unlimited love, and you've begun to understand who Jesus is. A quote here from Timothy Keller. He was a a pastor in New York City, recently passed away, actually. Here's what he says. He says, the Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong, and heal the world where it is broken. I want you to see this here. His miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also wonderful foretastes of what he's going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming. See, it's not just that he has power. He doesn't show up and start doing magic tricks, start putting on shows, trying to build, you know, this whole thing for himself. He goes to to a guy who's been paralyzed 38 years. He goes to a guy that feels like he's never going to get into the pool. He goes to a guy that feels like he's just got to watch everybody else get their miracle. He goes to a guy that's been disappointed, that's been let down, that's been frustrated, that can't walk for 38 years. And what does Jesus do when he comes? He says, I want to find that guy. I want to go to that man. I want to go to the guy with nothing left in the tank. I want to go to the guy who's running on E. I want to go to the guy who's not only on option B or C. I want a guy who ran through A to Z and has got nothing left. I'm going to that guy. And he goes to this guy. And it's not just, again, that he has power, but watch what he does with it. He says, pick up your mat and walk. And what does the guy do? He picks up his mat and starts to walk. That one moment with Jesus can change everything in your life. I could tell you stories of the healing power of God in my own life. Times that I've seen people with crutches throw their crutches, start running around the room. People that that we prayed for them to be healed, and then they'd, they'd go to the doctor, and the doctor was out of words. That there was no explanation outside of, a man named Jesus met me. No explanation outside of, there's a God who does miracles. Now, I could, I could tell you today, I've prayed for plenty of people to get healed that haven't got healed. And I could tell you that there's times where we don't understand and we're wondering about the timing of God and, and how does all of that work. We're going we're gonna to talk about Job in a few weeks. It's going to be a good time. Some of you who know the story of Job, you, you caught that one. It wasn't a good time for Job, let's say that. But I can tell you that as you and I trust the Lord, believe in the Lord, and submit ourselves to his timing, whether it's in this moment, this life, or the next, 
the healing power of God will redeem the whole world. The healing, redeeming, saving power of God will make all things new. Why? Because that's what he does with his power. That's what he does with unlimited authority. He comes to to feed the hungry, to drive out demons, to reorder the broken parts of our hearts and our bodies and our lives, and he begins to make all things new. And you see this story, and I, I need to close with this here, this story is a picture of the gospel. Because it's about a guy who thought that he had to get into the pool to get his breakthrough. It's a guy who thought that he had to get to that place. He had to get to this place where he could receive an experience with God. That this pool, Bethesda, house of grace, house of mercy, if I could just get into that pool, then I'd be healed, then I'd be changed, then I'd be transformed. And the beauty of a story like this is that in Jesus, the house of grace came to him. In Jesus, the house of mercy came to him. And here's why it's a picture of the gospel. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is not about if you do all the right things and you outcompete everybody else, then you can get to a place of status with God, of relationship with God, of encounter with God. The good news of Jesus Christ is that in the flesh of Jesus, in the body of Jesus, the healing, transforming life of God came near to us. Right there in the middle of our, of our being paralyzed, of our 38 years of brokenness, of our decades of dysfunction, of years and years and years of not being able to move, Jesus came to us. He shows up to us. He meets us right where we're at. He meets us right in that place where we can't do it, where we can't figure it out. We're not good enough to get to the pool in time. And Jesus shows up and he says, what do you need? Do you want to be made well? And I can tell you, this isn't some abstract story. This isn't some theological concept. This is the story of my life. And I know many of you, this is your story too. That you're not here today because you've done it all right. You're not here today showing up with your impressive resume. Check out my list of accomplishments. Should have seen me. I was so good at getting in that pool. No. No, sir. No, ma'am. That in the grace and love of God in Jesus Christ, mercy found me. Grace found me. A miracle found me. Ayana quoted it earlier, Romans 5.8. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Maybe for a good man, someone would die. Maybe for a righteous man, someone would die. But, but God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were dead in sin, he loved us. And you see, I suspect that for many of us, we, we treat the Christian life like the pool of Bethesda that you gotta outcompete and outwork everybody else. And you gotta get there first and you gotta be, hard, be, be smarter and brighter and work harder than everybody else. And maybe, maybe then God would like you. Maybe then you'd have an experience with God. And that's not the case, friend. 
The gospel is that when you and I were trying everything to do it right, we were still terrible sinners far from God. And it turns out that, that the deciding factor in your life is not your performance, it's his love. It's not your effort, it's his grace. That he comes to us right there in the middle of all of the mess and he, and he shows up and he, he meets us and he, he sees us and he heals us. See, what we, what we see in the gospels that, is that it's not about getting to this place, getting in to the temple, getting in to the ritual, getting in to the pool. Jesus is a pool on wheels. He's a breakthrough on wheels. He comes to you. He shows up at your house. He shows up in your mess. He meets you and me right there. 38 years waiting, hoping, disappointed, frustrated, hoping again, being disappointed again. And this man, isolated, alone, no hope, no help, has a moment with Jesus that changes his whole life. 